0: Without borders, and we walk upon the water. Do you know, think about what we're asking for there. That's pretty challenging. And uh, sometimes I find myself singing lyrics like that and being moved by them, and really just saying, "God, help me to mean this." You know, help me to help me to really uh, pray that prayer that we're singing. So, a great prayer. Uh, it's a bold prayer. Uh, let's pray again. Father, we are a, a group of people coming together to worship you this morning, and, and we need you. We confess that. We are glad that you are here with us. We are glad that uh, you are delighted to allow us into your presence. We come obviously in the, in the blood of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, our King. Uh, we are thankful, God, that our attempts at worshiping you and praising you give you joy and delight you. We are cognizant of the fact that we join our voices, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts with untold numbers of others this morning that worship you. Uh, some with country music and some in languages we can't understand and some with drums and, and some with cymbals and some with tambourines and uh, and some with bands and some with choirs and all, so many different ways, God, your people gather this morning, this day, this Sabbath, to worship you. And may our worship delight you, Father. Teach us as we reflect together. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about worship now for a few weeks. And uh, we've seen that worship is really, really important to God. It matters to God who we worship. It also matters to God and always has how we worship. Uh, He doesn't just turn us loose to do anything that we want to do in worship. We've uh, talked about the fact that our worship is a dialogue between us and God, God to us, us to Him, but it's also a dialogue sometimes. We're actually calling each other to praise God and give Him glory, so it's a a dialogue. We've learned that every part of what we do here, whether it's reading Scripture or whether it's singing or whether it's a testimony, some of you gave testimony last Sunday, uh, whether it's teaching or confessing our sins or Uh, observing one of the sacraments, the Lord's table or baptism, whether it's giving of our resources, whether it's confessing our sin, hearing assurance of pardon, all of these things are important parts of worship. And I've said that becoming a better worshiper, um, both a better private worshiper as well as a public worshiper, is an important key to to developing joy in our life and gratitude and peace in our life. Worship actually helps us do that. And the reason why is that worship, in worship, we're not focusing solely on our problems. When we come to worship, we're not focusing on our pain or our current predicament or our blessings even necessarily. In worship, we're focusing where? On God, yeah. And doing so, we gain a deeper, clearer understanding of who God is. We rehearse the truths about God over and over and over. When that happens, we actually change because we have a change of perspective. And that changes how we approach our circumstances. Very, very, very important dynamic. It's almost as if God knew that would happen. This morning, we're going to talk about some things that kind of get us off track with this thing of worship. I thought it would be helpful to reflect on this. Things that are really only secondary importance, but too often we make them primary of primary importance, and when we do this, it leads to dissension, it can lead to conflict in the body, it can lead to a loss of focus, it can lead to a loss of spiritual passion for a congregation, it leads to cold hearts and hard spirits, and it can even lead to dead communities in churches. And so here's the deal. Great worship and ultimately the spiritual life and well-being of our community here will not happen automatically. Don't ever think that. I mean, great worship is not going to happen automatically. It just won't. It rests on a core of believers who understand and share common values. And the values that this whole series are wrapped around is, remember that up, in and out? It's up. It's worship. It's talking about the, the centrality and the importance of worship. Something that we see as a pattern in the life of Jesus. Getting away to worship, to talk to, to listen to the Heavenly Father. It's just something He did, so probably something we need to do. We believe that God calls us to understand and embrace this value of worship together. This morning, uh, I want every one of us, I hope, to leave this room and be very clear about one thing. And that is this, that worship at its heart is God-centered. It's not about me. It's not about getting my needs met in worship, or it's not really even about my preferred style of worship, or it's not about my personal taste for worship. In worship, we gather in the presence of the living God. He is here right now. In worship, we remember, we declare, and we embrace His greatness and His goodness and and His glory. We try to get a glimpse of that every time we worship. And we want to do this with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. But it's so easy to not do that if we're honest. It's so easy to let our worship get completely off track from where it should be. And so I want to look at three ways that worship gets off track. And then uh, just kind of commit ourselves to saying, you know, not here. We don't want this to happen here. We're not going to uh, just give up and be casual about this. We're going to worship God in a way that is God-centered, not me-centered. And so here we go, three ways that worship gets off track. First, uh, sometimes in some places, for some churches, worship becomes a very casual kind of thing. Just a very casual kind of thing. And of course we're not talking about dress, uh, we're not talking about music styles either. Uh, we're really talking about heart attitudes. Um, casual attitudes towards worship itself. I'll give you kind of a picture of this from the scriptures in uh, 1 Samuel 13. Do you remember the time when Saul, he's been made king and he's going out to do battle with the Philistines and uh, they line up the Philistines, set camp up in one place and, and Saul and his team sets up the, uh, on the opposite side and they're thinking about the, this engagement in battle. And do you remember what happens is the prophet Samuel tells Saul, you hold off on going to war until I get there and until I make the sacrifice. And uh, and it, seven days go by and Samuel doesn't show up. Yeah, and so you remember, what, what does Saul do? He goes ahead and offers the sacrifice himself. He's been told not to do that. He's been told what he's supposed to do is wait and trust. And Samuel the prophet will show up. And Samuel the prophet will make the sacrifice. But Saul says, you know, it's not working. I've got soldiers leaving. They're getting more and more nervous as the... The, the, the Philistine army continues to increase in size, and as they you know, make their war and, and their battle cries and what have you, and the Israelites are getting nervous, and some of them are getting up and leaving, and so Saul takes things into his own hand. And really, what's the hard attitude there? The hard attitude is just being casual. Being casual about a directive that God had given him for preparing the army uh, for battle. And they, It's so interesting, to prepare the army for battle, they were going to worship together. And a prophet was going to make sacrifice for their sins and call on God. But Saul couldn't wait. He was casual about the directives that God had given him. Uh, The other one is in Leviticus 10. We have the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. It's such an interesting thing. They uh, were told in uh, chapter 10. This is Leviticus chapter 10, uh, verse 1. It says, Aaron's sons, Nadab, and Abihu, took their censers. These are the things that you would burn incense in. And they put fire in them, and they added incense, and they author and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to His command. What's almost certainly uh, at play here is they had they had used incense that wasn't authorized specifically for the worship of Israel. They were being casual about oh any old incense, will do, you know that kind of an attitude doesn't matter that we we pay attention closely to what God has called us to do. And so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now that could happen here today, depending on what kind of fire you bring before the Lord, you see. Don't bring casual fire before the Lord. God wasn't going to let that happen. And then, you know, Moses is even told, don't even grieve this publicly. You know, don't do what people would normally do if members of their family were suddenly... Uh, taken away from them, and so aaron listens but then look down in verse 8 chapter 10 verse 8 says then the lord said to aaron you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die it's the only time that statement's made anywhere probably this is a probably right probably what's going on here is nadab and abihu were drinking very casual about their duties as a priest and so on. And under the influence, probably, they just used some, any old thing out there they could grab and they were being very casual about what had God had specifically instructed them to do. And God broke out against them. God said, you're, you're, you're not doing what I told you to do. You're supposed to be a leader in what it looks like to worship. And that's just being casual Uh, extreme consequences you know consequences today of our being casual could be a litany of things it's not usually that God breaks out and takes someone's life but a lot of times the life of a church withers and dies when we take worship casually um Uh, Now contrast all of that with another scene. That was the scene we looked at last week, kind of briefly, in Exodus 19. God has delivered Israel from slavery, right? And now they're actually, they've already crossed the Red Sea, and now they're camping in Mount Sinai. Remember the prophetess Miriam? This is is Moses' sister. Uh, She grabs a tambourine, and this is after Pharaoh and his armies are destroyed, and she and all the other women begin to Play tambourines and dance before the Lord and so. And it's one of the first accounts we have in the scriptures of God's people coming together in in corporate worship. Was Miriam and the tambourine dancing crew and so on. Exodus 19, we read this uh, last week. We'll read it again. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then a little later in that same chapter, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, there was lightning, and a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled, and then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. And last week we just noted, I think this is kind of important, that... Now, what's going on here is God's not like pulling out all the stops to, so he can really show off his power. God's reigning in his power. God is, God is cloaking, if you will, his majesty and his glory so that they don't all perish, right? That's what's going on here. So it's not like, ooh, look what God's doing. God's reigning in his glory so that the people can be in his presence and not perish. So it says, Mount again, covered in fire. God descends on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace... And the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. That's one heck of a worship gathering right there. These people find themselves in the presence of the living God. You think anybody there said, you know what, we're going to leave. You know, we're not singing the songs that we like to sing at the foot of the mountain. Like that tambourine song, you know. We really like that tambourine song. Why don't we sing that anymore? You think anybody said, you know, I don't like it when Moses leads worship. I prefer it when Aaron leads worship. And uh, I'll come back to the mountain when Aaron's up. Or imagine somebody saying, you know, this worship is just too formal. All that smoke, fire, billowing clouds and stuff. I would like, you know, worship to be a, a little more informal. Or somebody saying, well, you know, that stuff's okay, but I don't like it when Miriam does that dancing thing. That, that's just too uninhibited, not enough reverence. I don't like the tambourine thing. Or somebody else saying, you know, all day? Are you kidding me? We're going to do this all day? I mean, come on, you know. I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody was saying anything like that. I, I think these people were filled with awe. And filled with wonder. Because they understood where they were. And to some extent they understood. The one with whom they were dealing. Um, They had prepared for worship. Several days. They had prepared to meet God. And when they did they trembled. And they rejoiced. Because here they were in the middle of nowhere. Just a bunch of ex-slaves. All of a sudden they met the living God. And there was mystery. And there was awe. And there was life in this worship for them. Because these people understood that the living God himself was there. And I think sometimes that we get so used to going to rooms and sitting through meetings and having events. And so uh, whether that's a movie or a play, a ball game, whatever, or some meeting at school, whatever it is. Unfortunately, we just come to think of this time, <coughs> this worship time as one more event that we may or may not attend may or may not engage with and uh, you know when we do attend we we sometimes attend as observers and i would just say remember when we come into this place we come to meet the god of the mountain. I mean, yes, He's always present with us. We know that. He says, He promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. But when we come here, we want to open ourselves wide open, wide open to Him, to the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who shook the mountains and roared like thunder, the God who holds your life and mine in the palm of His hand quite literally, and the God who now speaks to us through His Son who died for us, the God of the mountain, the God of the cross. He is here right now with us. His spirit is here. Jesus made that statement to his disciples for where two or three come together in my name. There am I with them. There am I with them. Jesus is here. The interesting thing about Jesus is he doesn't usually, not in the here and now, show up with smoke and fire and clouds. He shows up a lot of times more humbly, more meek than that. But if it's true that Jesus is here, when we come here there really should be no casual worship not in the sense that we're defining it to the best of our ability on any given Sunday you know we should come here prepared to worship I mean imagine that now I I know it takes literally heroic efforts uh, for many of you to simply make it here I get that we have four kids you know we we, you know uh, I understand we've all got jobs we all make commutes we all have uh, you know families and uh, we all have schedules we all have dinners and meals and sports and you name it the list is a long one I know it takes heroic effort sometimes just to get here. But what I'm challenging you with is here's one more heroic effort that you need to make. Don't just get your body here. Prepare your spirit. Get your heart as ready to meet God as you can. Uh, This is just the truth, I think, about human nature. We prepare for what matters to us most. We do. Football players get ready for the big game, right? They prepare. Salespeople get ready for the big sale, right? Teachers get ready to teach the lesson. Uh, people are always preparing for what matters to them most. Uh, people get ready. They, they prepare a lot to go on a date if you're in that mode. I mean, sometimes you spend more time preparing for the date than the date itself takes, right? A lot of preparation. And I'm asking you to the best of your, your ability to come prepared for worship Here. Uh, that can mean many different things if possible, it would certainly mean meeting with and listening to God, maybe in the scriptures before you show up here, depending on your circumstances. You may or may not have time for that, or it could mean it uh, depends on how you 're put together, but it could mean putting a a um, a disc in the in the player in the car so that on your way here you 're singing you know or hearing someone sing what if that works for you it works for a lot of people, certainly would mean praying <coughs> even if you have kids. Uh, Getting the kids to quiet down for just a moment in the car so that you pray on the way. And and in that prayer you're acknowledging as a family, we're going to actually meet God, kids. We're going to worship God, to give ourselves to God. Not only is that a great teaching moment, it can be also a great preparation moment for you, for the whole family. if kids are in there. Uh, Confessing your sin, you know. We're going to pray, kids. Hold on as we drive here. Okay, Father, forgive Um, myself and and, you know mom here because we've been fighting this morning you know and let let the kids see reconciliation happen in preparation for coming to worship the one true living God or give thanks for something you're thankful for ask the kids what are they thankful for pray about what you're going to give Well, we're going to give a gift this morning and we want you to bless it we want you to use it for kingdom things come prepared for worship that's the first thing and uh, here's another thing Invest yourself fully in the moment when you're here. The psalmist says in Psalm 66 too, Make his praise glorious. And that really is your job description and mine. You know, when we come together like this, we actually have a job description, and it's to make his praise glorious, to, make, uh, to lift him up, to give him honor, uh, to give him uh, the acknowledgement that you are the one true, great, awesome, good, and powerful living God. You know, I've been at some churches where... Some worship services, people are just, it, it feels like, I, you can't read each other's hearts, so I don't know this, but sometimes it feels like we're going through the motions, right? People are a little bored, or they're a little preoccupied, and, and they look like uh, they're maybe thinking about other things. Hard to tell. But when you come to worship, when we're here, I'm asking you, don't wait for something to grab your attention. Come prepared to give your attention to God. I'll freely acknowledge that a lot of times up here, whatever we're doing isn't going to grab your attention, you know, if I, if I was wearing a miniskirt, that would grab your attention. Probably not going to help you worship, but it would grab your attention. I mean, you know, we don't do things up here to grab your attention. That's kind of my point. It's your job to come and give your attention. Now, we don't want to waste your time when you're here. God forbid. I mean, that we're wasting your time. But you want to come and you want to be able to say, God, I'm here, I'm listening, I'm praising, I'm confessing, I'm, I'm responding. In other words, God, I am here and I engage, I'm engaged. What, what do you want to say to me? And here's what I want to say to you. You know, I love you. Or at the very least, talk to him about why you're having difficulty engaging. That's legit. If you're having difficulty engaging, talk to him while you're here about that very issue. To the very best of your ability, come prepared. Be fully invested. No casual or, in other words, half-hearted worship here. We really want to try to avoid that collectively and certainly avoid that individually. Because here we meet the God of the mountain, (laughs) the God of the cross. Uh, He deserves better than casual worship. This is a prominent theme that we run into in the prophets. Isaiah 29 Uh, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's casual worship. And their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. They're just going through the motions of stuff that people do when they think they're worshiping me. Therefore, once more, I will astound this people with wonder upon wonder. You see, worship is meaningful to God to the extent that it authentically reflects what's, what's actually going on in our hearts. That's worship that really matters to God. And therefore it's really important that we make the songs that we sing be thoughtful, listen to them, pay attention to the words, the prayers that we pray, that we dial into those prayers, join ours with theirs. Even when we read stuff on the screen, um, I would love it if uh, when people visit, we kind of shock them. How, how we read by engaging, you know, with what's on the screen. In other words, we don't just, I mean, we, in, we, we embrace it. We pray it together. You know, we, we engage with, with what we're talking about. When we give, we engage. It's an act of worship. When we study, uh, make it ours. Are you with me so far? Okay. Here's another way, <clears throat> excuse me, that worship gets off track. And that's when it becomes consumer-oriented worship. Uh, when we kind of look at worship as something that's, that should be designed to entertain me. When I come to a worship gathering with this attitude, I sit back and I say, okay, wow me. <laughs> you know, do something to grab my attention, do something to make me want to listen. And if you don't or if you can't, then I'm not interested. I'm not worshiping. I won't give praise and adoration to the God of the universe because you think at what you do. <laughs> I don't like the tune, I don't like the instruments, I don't like the message that much, so if you can't engage me and please me, if you can't meet my expectations, if you can't capture my attention, then I'm not going to worship. Now nobody says that, but we act like that sometimes. Understand again, we'll go back to that, that psalm, it is your job, it is my job, if you follow Jesus, to be a worshiper. And to engage. So even if we're kind of blowing it up here, and by that I mean maybe the music's not engaging for you, or you don't particularly like it, or the message is not connecting. Believe me, we we try not to have that happen, but um, it still happens. And when it does, despite our our efforts, what's going on up here is not if it's not really connecting with you, I'm actually asking you to manage those thoughts real carefully. Uh, hopefully prayerfully, and still find a way to surrender yourself in worship. Worship, oddly enough, is not primarily about what I get out of it. Worship is about what I put into it. It's about what I give to God. That's what worship is about. And this kind of battle has always gone on all throughout church history. It's never been any different. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and come to find out there are all these factions in the church. Some people saying, I follow Paul. Others saying, I follow Apollos. Others saying, I follow Cephas. And then the really spiritual ones are saying, I follow Jesus, right? (laughs) That group. (laughs) As if they could kind of purchase different brands or different uh, flavors, if you will, of the gospel. Not possible. And Paul told them, hey, gang, this is divisive. This is not helpful. This destroys the body. Later in that same letter, uh, back in chapter 14... You can read it. Paul talks about how their worship had become very, very chaotic. People were doing things they liked to do in worship. They were kind of serving themselves. Some were coming to communion early and drinking all the communion wine and getting a little tipsy. I'm not making that up. Check me out. Others were coming and chowing down. I mean, there's a big spread of food here. And then there wouldn't be anybody later on, uh, anything left. It was very chaotic. Others wanted to speak in tongues and they liked doing it so much there would be bunches of them standing up doing it and others are looking around going, man, what is this? And Paul says, yeah, cut it out. You're not going to do that unless there's somebody there to interpret and I only want a few of you doing it. So he put limits around what they did to stop them from drawing attention to themselves, to stop the chaos. He wanted worship to be intelligible. People are doing things just to get and draw attention to themselves. Paul says, cut it out. This is not about you. This is about Him. Focus on Him. And so each of us always needs to be searching our heart to discover whether we are, <coughs> excuse me, coming as worship givers or worship consumers. Big problem. I'll be frank. You know, I, I do get comments sometimes, that will sometimes come through email, sometimes it'll just come face to face in a little hallway conversation. People will say things like this. They'll say, "Man, I'm, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will really break out in our midst and shake things up. I'm looking for and I'm waiting to see people really start clapping more and singing louder and shouting and raising their hands and, and you know I don't know what you know uh, jumping in the aisles and and um, and then I will also hear people say exactly the opposite. They'll they'll say, "Wow, when are we going to uh, learn how to be reverential in our reverent in our worship around here?" And, Sit more quietly. So, you know, Which is it? And what's behind those comments? So my, my guess is, it's only a guess, but I, I'm guessing that it's just a desire to have worship fit their own personal taste and, and uh, stylistic preferences is what is really behind that kind of thing. And uh, here's what we want to do, and here's what we want to become in this church. We want to become people who get better and better and better at responding to the fullness of who God is. Um, we want to respond to his holiness and his righteousness. And a lot of times the way you respond to that is kind of like, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you contemplate his, his bigness, his greatness, his perfections. We want to respond to his passion uh, for justice. We want to respond to his goodness, to his mercy, to his tenderness and his love. So we want to do this with our minds and our hearts and our Our voices and our bodies and our talents. So you know we'll pray and sing and give and study and we'll confess our sins and we'll read and we'll declare our faith. We'll do all those things so that we can respond, hopefully over time, to the fullness of who God is. Sometimes we'll come here and we may perhaps be overwhelmed by His holiness, and that tends to quiet us somewhat. We'll be like Isaiah, (coughs) who said, "Woe is me!" I mean, what else you gonna say, right? Sometimes we'll come here and we'll be undone by the compassion and the love of God, like the sinful woman in Luke 7 who's so so taken up with the love of Jesus. She's obviously heard the gospel and experienced his love, uh, maybe in other contexts. And she comes into this dinner, and she just pours out her love for Jesus. She literally pours out and anoints his feet. Um, She's pouring everything out in worship to him. Sometimes we'll be seized by the joy of the Lord, like David was when he was dancing before the Lord... Uh, We're we're told with all of his might. But here's one thing we don't want to do. We don't want to be consumers of worship. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Because we very quickly become that. Our culture is a consumeristic culture. Have you noticed this? I mean, it's buy, 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 get, get, get. You know, do, do, do. You can be a little more happy if you just have one of those. And so we're just set up to be consumers And we are also, therefore, when it comes to being Jesus followers, we tend to be consumers. Let me just tell you, there are lots of churches out there that do everything that we do better. There just are. And so, you know, if you were a consumer, I'm a little encouraged that you're here this morning, as opposed to one of those better places. Um, But, you know, we, we, we don't come to consume. We come to give and worship. It's about what we do for God. It's, we're not a movie. We're not a play. We're not a game. We're not a show. It's not a lecture to be just taken in. It's, it's worship is what we want to do here. And uh, we know that ours in all of its uh, many facets is not necessarily the, the best thing or being done the best of any other church in town. We, we want to give God honor and give God glory the best that we can on any given Sunday. And, uh, and when we do this too, uh, one of the really good challenges that we have here is have you, have you noticed that we have multi-generations or multiple generations uh, here in this church? And so uh, we have to cross generational lines. An awful lot of consumerism in churches has to do with generational preferences. This is huge. and probably, It probably still is one of the most volatile issues in churches, just generational preferences around music and what worship looks like. So let me ask you this. What style of music should we use to honor the God who died to make us one? Should we go back to the 1500s? A mighty fortress is our God. That's a good one. You could live there for a long time and sing the the hymns, the great hymns of the 1500s. Should we bump it up into the 1700s? You know, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We sang one this morning uh, uh, that I think was probably written in the 1800s. What, What century should we pick? 21st century only? What should we do? Well, churches actually divide up and fight over this kind of stuff. Uh, We want to continue to be aware that uh, great stuff was written in the past, and good stuff is even being written today. And then there's all this other stuff in between. We have actually a Deer Creek Church philosophy of worship, and it's on our website, and there's like eight points there that kind of describe who we want to be and what we want to do in our worship. One of the points says this. It's called ancient and modern, and we say this. We say, we desire to respect and learn from our tradition and to incorporate aspects of our heritage into our worship of God. While avoiding traditionalism and meaningless habits, we want to develop a style of worship which appropriately utilizes the best of the old and the new, the historic and the contemporary. We want our worship to reflect the fact that we stand together with those who have come before us in the faith. And to this end, we strive to use the best that the historical and the contemporary church has to offer in liturgy and worship. That's what we're shooting for. We don't always get it right, but that's what we're shooting for. We've decided it'll be ancient and modern. And so uh, we ask all generations, frankly, to show some patience. If you're in the younger generation, uh, show a little patience with what we're singing, if we're singing something from the 1500s, or vice versa. One of the signs of maturity in a congregation, I think, is that it's a place where all kinds of generations can come together in worship. We live in a world that likes to separate the generations more and more. I mean everything from different radio stations for the different generations. There's a whole bunch of uh, radio stations out there that are primarily designed for baby boomers. And they're playing our tunes, right? But uh, if you're in your 20s or 30s, there's not, those are not our tunes. And there's movies made for certain generations, modes of dress for certain generations, music, means of communication for certain generations. I have my eyes opened uh, Recently with somebody who was upset at my communication with them and they were upset that I hadn't been onto their facebook page and liked anything in forever I had to explain to them. I don't go to anybody's facebook page and ever like anything I mean, I don't even go to anybody's facebook page. I just don't Holly will say to me sometimes, hey, have you been to this Facebook page and seen it? And then she'll send me some weirdo link thing to it. And it's like I have to see it. But, I mean, I don't do it. So, so it's like, wow, I'm offending somebody. They're interpreting the fact that I haven't gone to their Facebook page and liked something. I've never even – I have two daughters that are on Facebook, one of them a lot. I've never even been on her Facebook page. But you, know, but, but, you know, it's different ways of communicating depending on your generation. And um, being aware of that, we can more appreciate and love and maybe even serve each other better. question is, you know, should we have different churches for different age groups? And we could just put on our sign, pastor's old here, this is a gray hair church. Or or no hair, no hair, gray hair or no hair. You know, welcome if you're a gray hair or no hair. You know, um, and I hope not. I hope we don't ever go there. One of the things that blesses me no end is just the fact that there are people involved in our worship. Uh, that happened not to be this morning, but a lot of times we'll have high school kids up here, you know, as a part of the worship team. Um, uh, we, we have, you know, we have young people involved in, in ministry around here, all the way from the middle school age right, right up through my age. And that blesses me no end. Who in their right mind would want to say, hey, I don't like that. I don't want that happening in my church. You know, I want to do music and, and ministry that reflects my generation only. I don't really know anybody that would say that. I, I pray that at the heart of what we do here uh, is this thought, that instead of focusing on my tastes or my wants or my wishes, we say, God, we are here to think about your tastes or wants or wishes. We're, we're here to think about you. We want our worship to embrace the best of both old and new. And that way, too, every generation, frankly, whether they, whether they want to be here or not, it's their, their concern or their, their decision, but we can be welcoming of them. But we're not going to focus in on just a particular generation. We want worship to be accessible to everybody so that we keep uh, saying to the new generations of people, you know what, we're going to sing unto the Lord a new song and a new song and a new song. And Oh, yeah, by the way, we've got some good old songs we'd like to sing together and teach. It's kind of funny. Uh, so once in a while, I'll say to Dustin, hey, Dustin, here's a hymn that I want to sing. And, you know, Dustin's been a believer for... Is Dustin in here? He's outside. Oh, How long have you been a believer, Dustin? Six years. Six years so, like, forever? <laughs> uh, anyway. But, you know, uh, and so, you know, I, hey, Dustin, let, let's sing this hymn. And Dustin will very honestly say, okay, I'll look, I'll look into that, and then that's my, my cue... Have you ever heard of that hymn, ever sung that hymn? Nope, I've never heard of it, you know? And uh, it's, the younger generation is just stupid. And uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 but it reflects the fact that we get to work together because he's bringing stuff to the table I've, I've never heard of, and, and I, I love so much of it. I'm sure he likes some of what I bring to the table. But anyhow, you know what I mean? That's, that's a good thing right there not a bad thing that's a good thing jesus makes a classic statement in um, in john chapter four he said this to the samaritan woman he said a time is coming and has come uh, and now and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshiper worshipers the father seeks so there's actually certain kinds of worshipers that the father seeks Worshippers that worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, meaning that their hearts and their minds are fully actively engaged. And in truth, because their worship is informed and governed by what God says or by God's word, right? There's some individuals, there's some churches that pride themselves on having lots of spirit in their worship and emotion and passion and energy and movement and so on. But sometimes there's too little concern for truth there, sometimes. And the choruses they sing may get real individualistic. I mean, some of that's fine, but, but if all we're singing about is, Boy, I love you, Lord. I'm feeling good today. Is anybody writing this down? My, we might want to sing this. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying, and it's about, you know, it's about how I'm feeling and how I'm worshiping and, and how neat I am. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like, ugh, come on. What are we singing about here? This is not, this is not really focused on God. It's it's re- even represents shallow or bad theology. Everything gets to be about trying to also engineer a feeling, perhaps. There's not enough thoughtfulness to it. Okay, we, we don't want to be that, not here. We don't want that. We want emotion, yes, we want engagement, we want passion, we want energy, but we want thoughtfulness too. We want to choose, <coughs> excuse me, songs with lyrics that express truth that honor God, that point us to Him. Uh, So even if a song has great music behind it, but it has lousy lyrics, we're probably not going to sing it here. We're going to choose to not do that. We want to be scripturally responsible. Um, And the point is, if you find that your goal in worship is primarily the production of a certain emotion, whether that be celebration and joy, that's a good thing, uh, you know, if it's, if I want to see people raising their hands and clapping and jumping and dancing, this, that, and the other, or maybe for you, it's, it's more along the lines of just sitting silently and being reverential in your worship, being quiet before God. If you're thinking it's got to be one way or the other, well, then just know we disagree. That's not who we are. That's not where we're going. Good worship is the balance between spirit and truth. Now, there are churches and individuals that consider themselves zealous for the truth. This is the other side of that that continuum. Zealous for the truth. They're primarily uh, places that dish out good and large amounts of information. Uh, And they pride themselves on doctrinal correctness, right? But when it comes to worship, nobody there has ever been so moved that they've ever actually moved. Get my drift? I was in a church in Colorado Springs some years ago, and we were singing the hymn, the old hymn. And, that was, and this church sings only old hymns. And this hymn was Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, You Soldiers of the Cross. We sang the whole thing seated. I don't know if anybody even noticed. I just kept giggling inside, kind of thinking, am I going to stand up? You know. I got a letter one time from a man who was attending here, and he, he no longer attends here. This was actually some years ago. And he said, uh, I think that the songs and all the stuff that comes before the sermon are just preliminaries. Can't we get less of the preliminary and get more of the message? He wanted me to preach longer. I thought this was a very insightful man. (laughs) But his idea (coughs) was that the main event is getting information. Friends, the main event is worship. It's not any one piece of it. The main event is worship. You know, we've done uh, services before where there was very little message and it was just all about testimony, you giving testimony. Those have been some of the best services we've ever had. You could save a lot of money if you just didn't even have me in the service and just did that every Sunday. But it, it, the main event is worship. It's being called into God's presence. It's declaring the glories of God. It's confessing our sin. It's being reminded that we are forgiven. It's remembering that he is with us. It's praying. It's, it's giving of our resources, our gifts. It's studying. It's being sent out together into the world to represent him. And some of us need to be uh, open, more open in our hearts to worship and say, God, you know, my faith's all right here in my head. I need it to move me, touch me, and, and, and do something with my with my heart, so maybe God is calling you to be more expressive, and so you say, "God, I'm I'm not going to raise my hands like this, like I did at the Super Bowl when we won." But you know, you know, since we are celebrating that Jesus came and brought His kingdom and died for our sins and saved us from hell and overcame our guilt and shame and was raised from the dead and will bring us uh, to Himself someday and bring up there down here and will share this triumph with us. Maybe I could at least go like this, you know, maybe. And you know what? You need to be real careful about that too. Because if a person becomes real expressive, that's fine so long as it's not about drawing attention to themselves. And so some of us need to open our hearts to God and some of us need to grow maybe theologically. Understand the backdrop of what the, more of what the Bible says about worship. There are lots of ideas out there about worship. Remember, the filter through which we we digest and understand and critique these things, the filter is the Bible. It's not how we feel. It's not what we want. It's the Bible, right? Now, to conclude, I want to stress something that I probably haven't stressed enough. You know, I've tried to equally offend all parties this morning. And, uh, but here's the truth, I think. <clears throat> all of us here are probably very guilty, all of us, of being too, you know, me-centered when it comes to worship. Uh, Thinking this is something that's being done for me, to even perhaps entertain me, what have you. And So what do we do with that? That's a big problem, as we've been acknowledging. Well, here is the ultimate truth in worship. The ultimate truth for worship is that worship is for sinners. That's the ultimate truth about worship. And when we forget that, our worship gets way off track. You know, worship is for the sake of sinners to you know, take us into the presence of the one who is not a sinner. You know, if you had to be perfect to worship, none of us would be here. Not one of us. And the amazing thing about God is going back to this passage we read a moment ago in Isaiah 29, it says there, it said there the Lord says, These people come near to me. With their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. And what you